Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Red Point. Good to see you all here. So we were going to be doing Mark chapter 9, and I thought about um, maybe telling a cool joke about it, but anyway, now I can't because... Um, <laughs> so we are taking a break from the Mark series, and um, it's been an incredible series, and I've loved reading through it and studying through it as the different messages have gone out, but we're having a bit of a break, and we'll kick off again in January. <laughs> so I'm talking about the journey to Christmas this morning. I feel like I'm missing something or forgetting something. Okay, not. <laughs> so I'd like us to focus on the journey to Christmas, and as we come to Christmas, many times people reflect and most people say the same thing. Gee, it's been a hard year, eh? <laughs> Can't wait for the new year, and so we wait, for the, we wait for the new. And as we think about the future, we have dreams on our hearts. And many of us, they are good dreams, and some of us, they are more of a nightmare. And I trust that I'll be able to encourage you this morning, and, and as, as Chris shared earlier in the, in the worship, that God is a God of hope. He is a God of hope. He's a God who journeys, and He takes us on a journey. How many of you can remember that Nissan advert? <laughs> what happened then? Changing settings, changing guitars, mid-worship. What I want to know, Tools, is how did you guys know to swap guitars so smoothly? The spirits. Great. How many of you are wondering, how did they know? <laughs> so, can you remember that slogan that Nissan had, Life's a Journey? You remember that? Life's a Journey, and they showed these vehicles driving along. And I thought, you know, it's important for us to remember that life is a journey. God is taking us on. And we go through stages of our lives, and we see two people, two couples that have now got engaged, and they both just come back from a mission trip. I'm getting worried about these mission trips of ours, you know? <laughs> Guys come back and they get engaged. I'm, I'm concerned. Anyway, so um, Mary and Joseph also took a journey, and they got engaged. So I don't know what's happening here. So we see the, in the Old Testament the Israelites journeying from Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. And it was a physical journey, but at the same time, it was a spiritual journey. It was a prophetic journey. And we can learn from the things that happened to them. Is if we have a look at our own lives, we can see what God is doing. So mankind is journeying with God. And as we are journeying towards Christmas, we remember this time that the Savior was born. And God had sent prophecies about the coming Savior. Um, Merv read one of them this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Um, Nicky Gumbel, he, he shared something that somebody else had said, and it said this, the hinge of history is on the door of a Bethlehem stable. The hinge of history is on, a, on the door of a Bethlehem stable. It was the turning point of history, so much so that everything that happened before that, we call it B.C., and everything after, we call it A.D., before Christ and Anno Domina, in the year of our Lord, the Lord had come. And the birth, the life, the ministry, the resurrection, 
everything that Jesus did is a turning point in world history. It's an absolute turning point. There are turning points in our lives. The second coming of Christ will be another massive turning point for this whole earth. And it's something that as believers we look forward to, many of us apprehensively, is that the right word? Carefully. (laughs) And some of us, we think it'll never happen. Some of us hope for it. In the same way, the Jewish nation had heard the prophecies about the coming Savior, the coming Messiah, and they longed for that day when, as Isaiah 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9 verse 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Can you imagine when that prophecy came to a nation that was under persecution, they were struggling through different things, they were, they were battling, and there was this promise of this coming Messiah, not just a king, but a saving king, because we can be under a, a king that's a bad king, or a king that's defeated all the time. It's like supporting a rugby team that keeps losing. You love them, but you don't talk about them. <laughs> but we love the Savior because he's a conquering king. Isaiah 42 verse 1 to 4 says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. God was opening a doorway in history by which all men could be saved. He was setting them free. These prophecies had happened hundreds of years before the event, and now it was breaking forth. We, know the, we all know the prophecy of Jeremiah 29 verse 11 that God promises us a hope and a future. It is a great promise, and I know in my house, I've got it up somewhere. Many of you others may have written that prophecy somewhere that God promises us a hope and a future. He's got a good and great plan for us. Incredible. Not just for this nation, but for each one of us individually. Isn't that awesome? That God knows our name, that he has a promise for us. Amen. The thing is this, and this is probably the point of my message, and as Chris was sharing that God has a hope for us. If we don't have a hope for the future, we'll continue to look at the past, and we'll call the past the good old days, where we should be saying the good days are yet to come, the best years are yet to come. And if we don't, if we don't have that in mind that God has a hope and a future for us, we'll think the past was better. In the few days before Christmas, Um, the first Christmas, there were a few journeys that were happening. One of them was Mary and Joseph. They were journeying towards an engagement party. (laughs) They were journeying towards Bethlehem. There was a census, and they had to go. There were wise men that were journeying towards a star that they'd also heard about, and that prophecy can be found in Numbers 24, that a star, about a star rising. Balaam had prophesied that, and 
there was also shepherds that were journeying. And we can read about this prophecy in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. It says, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. They had come a long way to worship him. Mary and Joseph had gone. How far was the journey? 150 kilometers with his pregnant wife. Experts say it would have taken, him, taken them about five days. Incredible. But they obediently went. The wise men obediently followed the star. The shepherds, they had, they had seen the angel. The angel appeared to them. And I'm going to read about that now. In Luke chapter 9, it says this. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, the shepherds, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, I'll bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by the sun, you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. This was a big deal. This was a big prophecy. And the Jews knew these prophecies, as I shared in Isaiah, some from Isaiah. There were hundreds of prophecies throughout the ages. God had sent many prophets, and they prophesied that something amazing was going to happen. This king was going to come, a saving king. He was going to be born. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. This was a serious deal. Can you imagine what it was like in that quiet evening that an angel appears and he gives them this incredible promise, this incredible word. He tells them, tonight it's happened. Not coming anymore. Tonight it's happened. The hinge is swinging in history. A BC is becoming AD. And not only that, suddenly a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. The news was so exciting that they had to go themselves. Verse 16, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about this child. All who heard the, the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept these things hidden in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying God and praising God, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. All these things had been prophesied and now they were taking place. We find ourselves on a journey at the end of 2021, and we're about to celebrate Christmas again. And I want to ask you, do you have a hope this Christmas? Do you have a hope, or are you concerned about the future? Are you concerned what it looks like? God is a journeying God, and He's journeying with people, and we see that He has taken people on a journey, and we can read about those journeys. The problem is that we cannot read about our own journey. We can only read prophetic words, promises of God about our journey. But I want to promise you today that what God says, He will do. Amen? Why should our lives be any different to those people that saw that promise come to pass? So this is the thing. They could be very different. They could be very different. 
if we refuse to journey with God, if we refuse to follow God, if the wise men had said, listen, we're not going to see the star, we're not following the star, things would have been different. If the shepherds hadn't decided, we're going to go and see. And most of all, if Joseph and Mary had said, listen, we're not going, we're just going to be disobedient, I don't know what would have happened. But I know this, that if we will say yes to God and we'll be obedient to his call and we will journey with him, he will do something amazing in each one of our lives. You may have been at Red Point for many, many years or today may, have, may be your very first time here and you're holding your coffee voucher. Enjoy it. It's the best coffee. <laughs> but what we want, we want you to journey with God. We want you to feel part of this team. We spoke about this during the week. We do not want anybody to feel like you're on the outskirts or left out. We want you to feel part of this, this family and part of God's family. It is so important that you don't sit on the outskirts and think, this promise is not for me. This word from the Lord is not for me. The wise men were living in a foreign nation and saw the, the, the star rise, and they decided, let's go and journey and see where it takes us. The shepherds could have thought, you know what, we're just shepherds on the outskirts of society, looking after the sheep in the field. But the angel appeared to them, and the vast host, the, the armies of heaven appeared to them. God wants to appear to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to call you. He wants you to journey with him. We can choose to be obedient or not. And I promise you today that that will change your whole story. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 15 says this. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. The NET version, which is the New English translation, says this. Oh, that today you would listen as he speaks. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts or do not let your hearts be hard. Be careful of a hardened heart. We can choose to be proud or we can have soft hearts that God can work with. And I know that many times we can all be hard-hearted. I mean, if, it's, if you have never been hard-hearted, anybody? It's just me. So we can all be hard-hearted, but the point is this, how do people know you? Do they know you for your hard heart? Because that's a danger sign. Nick has the saying, is it an event or is it a habit? If it's an event, you can get over it and deal with it, but if you are constantly hard-hearted, be careful of that. Be careful of that, and that's when you really need to be aware and say, Lord, I, you see my heart. Would you soften my heart? I've had it many times that I've had a bad attitude, and I've had said, Lord, you see my attitude, and I'm battling to change it, and I know that I need to change it, but I, I can't. I need your help, Lord. I need your grace. Grace is like the oil that, that people put into an engine. You know, the best engineers in the world can design the best engine, and if you don't put oil in that engine, within five minutes of starting it, it is finished absolutely finished. And you can get an old engine that is struggling to run, and you put some good oil into it, and straight away quietens down and starts to run smoothly. If I can use that illustration, 
as the grace of God being poured into your life. God wants to pour His grace into your marriage, into your relationships, into your work situation, into your finances. He wants to pour His grace into it. I'm sorry that I've gone off topic here. I just wanted to share this. (laughs) I heard this saying that all men desire peace, but few pursue it. All men desire peace, but few, few pursue it. We need to be people that pursue peace. The cost of peace is much, much lower than the cost of war. Think about nations that go to war because somebody was arrogant and they go to war. They could have sat down and said, guys, let's work this out. Let's have a little bit of of, um, tolerance with one another and negotiation and they work it out and there's no lives that are lost. There's no billions and billions of dollars that are wasted. The price of peace is much lower than the price of war. And the same thing happens in our own relationships. If we will seek peace, there'll be a lot lower cost to our families and our finances and a whole lot of things than if we had gone to war over things. Amen. Right. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 14 talks about how Satan was cast out of heaven. And it says that he was arrogant and wanted to be like the Most High. And he was cast down into the depths. And on the other side of that is Philippians chapter 2, talking about Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. A a fantastic story for us to remember. We see the devil wanting to go high and being cast to the lowest place. Jesus humbling himself as a slave and being raised to the highest place. We need to walk in humility. When When our prayers come up to the Lord, he's looking for that humble heart. Have you ever watched on um, TV these, um, these boxes bef- when they, before the match? They, they have their way in, and you can see the one is normally arrogant, and the other guy's normally a bit more humble. <laughs> and I always watch that thing, and I always think to myself, you know, I hope this arrogant guy gets beaten. <laughs> Does that not happen to you? Not. Oh, you don't watch TV, Tools? God wants us to journey with him. He wants us to walk with him. He talks about David as a man after my own heart. He will do all that I want him to. What a precious thing for God to say about somebody. Can he say the same about you? That is one of my closest prayers. Lord, let me be a person that will do all that you want me to. Wouldn't you love to be that person? That God would commend like that? Now, I've got written in my notes here, that's the end of the intro. <laughs> in the beginning of the, of the book of Revelation, there's the letters to, that Jesus gives to the seven churches. The churches can all be found in modern-day Turkey, and they're in the shape of an upside-down horseshoe, an amazing place to visit. 
And two of the churches received no rebuke. The one is the church at Philadelphia, and the other one was the church at Smyrna. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, this is the story, the, the, the letter to the church at Philadelphia. The Bible says this. This is Jesus speaking to John who wrote the, the, the letter. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I've opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. I mean, what a great promise. I know all the things you do, and I've opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not, did not deny me. I can confidently say this, that as you journey with God, when you journey with God, He will open doors for you. Now, what does that journey mean? Journeying together with somebody, you're yoked together with them. You know what an oxen's yoke does? They, they, it ties the two oxen together. And, and there's a scripture that says, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? Eventually, they stop walking together. A yoke teaches two oxen how to walk together, how to plow together. They need to harness their strength together. They normally would put an a, 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 um, inexperienced ox with an experienced ox, and the inexperienced one would learn how to be yoked together and plow a field together, and their strength would be even more than doubled because they would be all together in step. When we walk with God, that's what he's talking about, that we learn how to walk with him. We, we learn to do what he does. We learn to act like him. We learn to talk like him. What we do when people see us, they see Jesus. Ultimately, that's what it means, to, even to be a disciple. We're becoming like him. We're becoming like him. So that's what it means to walk together. Um, those doors, some doors he will open for you and others will be closed. And the doors he closes will be for your own protection. They will be for your own protection. Psalm 31 verse 20 is a very, very precious promise to me. I have prayed this prayer many, many times. When I have gone through difficult times, I have prayed this prayer that it is, I don't even know if there's any power left in it. <laughs> Just joking. There's plenty of power in this prayer. Psalm 31 verse 20 says, You hide them in the secret of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. I heard this illustration a couple of years ago. Can you imagine this picture now? James Bond. He's walking, he's running away from the enemy. These bad guys are after him. And he's running, and he's run out of ammo. He runs around the corner, and the whole place is closed off. And he knows the bad guys are just around the corner. Can you picture it? And suddenly, a secret door opens up, and he goes through the door, and it closes up, and it's sealed. And the bad guys come around the corner, and he's just gone. Good picture. That's what God does for us when he closes doors. He takes us through places, and he hides us from the enemy. The worst thing that we can do is think that we are cleverer than the enemy. No, we need to hide from him. God wants to hide us. And where does he hide us? In the secret place of his presence. I encourage you, don't be scared to pray this prayer. Lord, would you hide me in the secret place 
of your presence. My enemies are coming after me, and I need you to hide me in the secret place of your presence. This, this, I, I promise you, this prayer has never failed me. I've prayed that prayer many, many times, and I've escaped from the plan of the enemy. Through my life, I have done it. And I encourage you to ask God to hide you in the secret place of his presence. Great, eh? Are you with me? Great. If you can have a revelation today of God's faithfulness, I'll, be, I'll feel like I accomplished my goal today. Don't just give it a go. This is a story. This is an encouragement to get all in. It's not just a, a, a journey with God. Listen, I'm on a journey, and let's see how far it goes, and when it gets tough, I'm out. No. If you take half the journey, you'll end up in the wilderness like the Israelites did. We cannot take half the journey. We have to go with God. We have to journey with Him. They made it halfway to their promised land and they died in the wilderness. Such a sad story. The Bible says in Corinthians somewhere, (laughs) when they crossed through the Red Sea, when the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea, it was a baptism for them. It was a baptism for them. God took them out of Egypt and he hid them. The people were afraid and they complained to Moses. They had the Red Sea on one side, the Egyptian army on the other side. And what did Moses say? He complained and the Lord said to him, listen, just calm down. Have you tried that advice with your wife? Works every time. So that's what the Lord said to them. (laughs) So let's read. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 19, Then the angel of the Lord, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud had also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptians and the Israelite camps. I have to read a word for word because it's up on the screen. God had hidden them. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea. The Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Sometimes... We are in that strong wind. It says the wind, strong wind, blew all night. And we might be in that place right now, holding on to our tents and asking, Lord, what is happening? What is happening? The enemy's coming. The wind's blowing. We're in this time of turmoil. Trust God that he is working his plan. You know, Robin has a wonderful saying. She says, give the Lord time to work. We've prayed with many people, and they wanted to then take action And she's encouraged them, counseled them, and said, just give the Lord time to work. The strong wind blew all night. God was working. He was opening the secret door. He was taking them through and delivering them. And that scripture says that the the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. It's a wonderful baptism story. The, the Egyptian, the enemy that you see today, you'll never see again. So they crossed through the sea, and they were free from Egypt forever. Or were they? 
See, the problem was this. They still had Egypt in their hearts. So you know what they did? They grumbled and they complained. This is the rebellion that Hebrews 3 verse 15 talks about. They angered the Lord. They angered the Lord. It's important for us to realize that the journey won't always be easy. It'll be a great journey, but it won't always be easy. Do you think it was easy for Joseph walking the 150 kilometers? I must tell you, when I googled how far is it from Nazareth to Bethlehem, it told me that it was 373 kilometers from Nazareth down the road here to Bethlehem in the Free State. That's what it did. And I thought they're going to have to go up from Runan's Pass. Anyway, the point is this. Don't bail out halfway to the promised land. Don't bail out halfway to the promised land. Don't complain. Start to ask, Lord, what are you doing? I've heard so many people that go through a hard time. What is happening? You know, my life is just moaning and grumbling and complaining. Exactly what the Israelites do. Start asking, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to hear that I can hear and learn and move on and pass the grade that you're in? The Lord doesn't push anybody through. He doesn't condone passes. You have to go through it and pass it. Stay with God. Stay in fellowship. Don't think that you're cleverer than him, cleverer than him in bailouts. You know, John chapter 3, verse 16 says, and I'm going I'm to change it slightly, so just hear this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everybody could be saved. That's not what it says. It says, for whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. The promise is for all who believe. There's an obedience to it. There's a believing to it. And that is the journey of going on to what we cannot see. Going on to what we cannot see. The heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 says this. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They had a hope in the future. Will you still trust God even if you don't see the promise come to pass? Will you, can you still trust Him when the, when the promise is taking its time and the journey seems long and hard or will you bail out and want to go back and wonder why you ever started the journey? I want to encourage you today to be of those people that are steadfast. Lord, I'm staying with you. You gave me a promise and even if it doesn't come to pass in this lifetime, I'm staying with you. I will be faithful with you until the end. And I pray that I will be. God is able to provide for you in this time. We have to stay connected. We have to stay close. John chapter 15 talks about us abiding in the vine. Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And what happens if you cut a branch off? It does. But we must be of those that abide because only then can we bear much fruit. We cannot bear fruit without being connected to the vine. When we are connected to the vine, the fruit comes naturally. The vine and the branches were made for each other. And Tools shared this really cool illustration that um, the pastor from New York, Tony Evans, had shared. And he said, hot water and tea are made for each other. If they hang out long enough, 
transformation will happen. You can't just quickly dip a tea bag into hot water and expect a nice cup of tea, can you? They have to abide together. And you cannot just dip into church and expect transformation to happen in your life. God is a God of miracles, and He can set you free in a moment. But He wants you to be diligent. You know, very often we, we want the gift. We don't want the character that is needed to hold the gift. We want just that instant deliverance. But we need to be diligent and be faithful because we, we, we can't just have instant things. You know, this, these, these days we are used to instant everything. I mean, we have instant coffee. Who loves that? Instant porridge is instant lawn. You use it there, Judy. Instant, everybody wants instant gratification. Everybody loves, because we, we, do, we don't want to wait for things. We don't want to wait for things to grow. We don't want to wait for even water to boil. One day they'll have instant water. Just add water. <laughs> instant taps. So we have this, um, at home on my back wall, we've got this ticky, ticky creeper. You know, it's a plant that sticks against the wall and it grows. And this thing, for some reason, it just wouldn't grow. It just got bushy. And I asked all kinds of people, what can we do? And said, put more fertilizer, put more water, put more compost, put more bone meal. And one day I read John chapter 15, and I thought, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to prune it. And I did. And you know what happened? It started to grow. And it started to spread. And now it's covered just about the whole wall. And now I tell my garden, listen, don't be scared to prune that thing. And he just cuts it. That sometimes I'm worried a bit, a bit, a bit about it. But let me tell you, we can't stop it growing now. Now it just, it's just growing, and it needed pruning. And the same thing happens in our lives. That God needs to prune our lives sometimes, and not just sometimes, but all the times. He needs to prune our lives, and we need to allow the, Him to trim those things away because they will hinder our growth. They will hamper our growth, and we want that instant gratification all these instant things. Lord, I want this instant, amazing relationship with you. You know where it's made? Spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, studying the Word. Lord, what are you saying to me? Let me hear what you are saying and doing the things that God tells you. If you will hear His voice and be obedient to that, God will bless you. You know that to all seven churches, Jesus says, to him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. All of them. Amen. So let's get back to our Christmas story. Oh, one more thing. And um, we see the story, the difference between Samson and Joseph. Samson, he had this incredible gifting, and Joseph had this incredible character. Both godly men. But Samson, for some reason, never had the character to, to carry his gifting problem properly. And, it, and his life didn't end well. And somebody said this once, imagine if you're a father and um, your daughter has got a boyfriend and um, here he comes and he knocks at the door one night and you've never met him. Who would you prefer standing at the door, Samson or Joseph for your daughter? I'm sure all of us would love to have Joseph there. And yet, as young guys, we grow up, I don't want to be Joseph, I want to be Samson, I want to be strong. We want the gifting, but I encourage you today to seek the character that will hold that gifting. 
build your life on a foundation and journey with God, allow Him to build strength, build strength, build character, build character, build faith, build faith, that when it's needed, you have it. Do you know when an army wins a war? An army wins a war not on the battleground. They win the war long before that. They win it in the training base when they, work, when they learn sleepless nights and they learn discipline and they learn hard times and they do the battle drills over and over and over and they do them in the cold and they do them in the rain and they do them in the heat and they do them in the day and they do them in the evening. That's when they're winning the battle. That's when we will win the battle, when we take this word and put it into our heart and put it into our heart. Transformation starts to happen as we abide with Christ. He's strengthening, he's strengthening, he's strengthening. Amen. Now we can go back to the Christmas story. So Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. I want to ask you, what do you have stored in your heart? Is it, a, a, is it hope for the future? What is filling your heart this morning? It is, is it faith or is it fear? Are you here today worried about the future? I want to encourage you that your future does not have to be a nightmare if you allow God to be in control of it. I believe that we need to live more intentionally. What does that mean? It means being aware all the time that you are God's ambassador, that you are part of his master plan on this earth, that you, whether you are above average or average or like me, God has a plan for you. For every one of us, God has an incredible plan. We need to look for opportunities that, that God is giving us to serve Him. Look for, for places that we can speak a word of encouragement. There are people here. There are people in your workplace that need a word of encouragement from you. There are people that are walking too close to the edge that need you to help them, help draw them away from that edge. There are people that need the gifting that you have in their lives. There are people that need your generosity. I want you to understand this morning that each one of us are a part of God's master plan. On our journey, we are to help one another. Look at the Good Samaritan. He was on the way. The sad thing is the religious people of the day had passed by the guy who had been attacked. The Good Samaritan went out of his way to help him. He didn't do what he couldn't do. He didn't go and say, listen, I'm going to take care of you. He dressed his needs and he took him to a place where he could be cared for. And, and Jesus asked the crowd, which one was the neighbor? It was the Good Samaritan. That's what we need to be doing, understanding that we can practically help people. The journey results in new life for you. These journeys result in new life. They will bring you to a new place, as they did the, the journeys that Mary and Joseph took, the wise men took, and the shepherds took. It brought them into a new place, a place of excitement. They had seen the Savior. As we journey with God, He will bring us into a newness, into the plan that He has for you, that plan of a hope and a future, the purpose that you were made for. There's a saying that says, when you find and fulfill God's plan for your life, you'll be the happiest person on earth. Isn't that great? Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says this, and I'm nearly finished. 
Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. What a great promise. Somebody once said this. That you may have heard this saying, someone is so heavenly minded that they know earthly good. Have you heard that? I think that the other problem exists more often than not. We are so earthly minded that we know heavenly good. We need to be heavenly minded. But what does it mean to be heavenly minded? Being heavenly minded means that we care for widows and orphans. It means that we use our bodies and our resources to help others. It doesn't mean that we walk around as the Pharisees did, praying long, loud prayers all day. It doesn't mean that. It means that we are concerned about those who are struggling through life. It is the story of the Good Samaritan. There was a story of this little boy who came home to his family, and um, he said to his dad, Dad, I know that the people over the road have got no food in their house. And his dad said, that's terrible. Let's get together and pray for them. And the little boy said, Dad, just give me a wallet. I'll go and buy them something right now. And that's what it means. We need to be praying, but we need to be involved as well. Look for needs and start to meet them. Start to help people in their struggle. So as I said, that this journey of Christmas is a journey for us and leads us into a new life in Christ. God wants your heart to be filled with hope. He wants to turn your nightmare into a pleasant dream. We are the ones that fill our hearts, fill them with the Word of God, Fill them being careful about what we think, what we say, how we act. Read God's word and ask him how it applies to you. Lord, how does this word apply to me? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? And Philippians 4 verse 8 says this. It's an encouragement. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. How often do we get caught up in some social media post that is not honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable? And we we chase down those things when God is encouraging us not to fill our hearts with those things. I want to close with the scripture. Proverbs Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. I want to encourage you. This journey toward Christmas is not just a physical journey for us. It's a spiritual journey. It's a journey where where we get our hearts right, where we see Jesus, the Savior, as the hope of the nations, as our only hope for the future. That is the journey to Christmas, where our hearts get filled with hope Once again, where there is an excitement for the future. Can we see the excitement? Maybe not right now. But to know that there is a promise. After Jesus' resurrection, when the disciples were afraid and they were gathered in the room and the room was all closed and Jesus appeared in the room with them and he said, peace 
with you. Peace be with you. And that's what he wants to say to you. Peace be with you. He wants us to live lives of peace, not as the world gives, but a peace that only he can give, a hope that only he can give. Can I encourage you with that this morning? Can we stand? I trust that I've encouraged you that there is a hope for each one of you, that there is a future for each one of you, that God has a plan for each one of us. It's a good plan. Amen? We're going to lead us with a song there, Tools. Am I too quick for you? As we sing this song, I encourage you just to keep in your heart the hope that God gives, the hope that Christ gives you, that only He can give you, a peace not as the world gives.